we're looking at the book of Revelation. We're still dealing with this uh, topic of the letters to the churches of Asia. And I'm reading from Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse number 1. Revelation 3 and 1. And the angel, oh, my thing's closed on me, sorry. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. Uh, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray and uh, talk to the Lord and ask him to speak to us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the presence that we feel, your presence here today. God, I pray for anointing and revelation to grip our hearts and our understanding, our minds today as we, we dive into your word, Lord, touch our lives. Let there be not just ministry of your word, but let there be a ministry of your spirit here today. Touch and change our hearts and transform us, our thinking, and to reflect into you. Help us to wake up in this tower, this hour and time that we live in Jesus' name. We praise you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. You may be seated this morning. Sardis is one of the seven cities of Asia. And you might notice as you, maybe, you've, you've, maybe you have picked up on it here and there, but uh, one thing to note about the the book of Revelation is the number seven is repeated over and 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 over again, because it's very significant. In fact, the number seven is throughout the whole Bible. There is, you know, the seven days of creation. There is the 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 seven churches of Asia Minor. There is the seven stars in the hands of Jesus. There is sevens all throughout the Bible, and we see this as a sign of completion. It's a divine number, what they, they call the divine number. It's a, a complete number. It, when you see seven, it's speaking of the totality of something. Uh, and, and Sardis was one of these seven cities, seven churches. And re really what we see in the scripture is when there's an emphasis on seven, it's referring to the whole thing. So this is not just a letter to Sardis. These are not just letters to the churches of Asia. But these are letters to the church 
at large. Uh, while there were specific issues in every church and there were specific situations in every area and uh, specific things that they were doing well and specific things they needed to improve on, this is really a letter to the whole church because if we look close enough, we'll see that we're actually one of the members of the seven churches. We are, you know, addressed by the Spirit as as the, the outro of every letter is, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because while this was written to Sardis specifically, and there are specific things about Sardis that kind of are, are highlighted here, this is not a, it does not exclude the rest of us in our walk with God. But this is a letter to us as well. The, the city of Sardis was once a thriving city under a king. His name was Croetius. Uh, but it was captured by the Assyrians, and then later by the Greeks, and then later by the Romans, as it, the hands of power and the, shifted over the, the centuries. Sardis was badly damaged by an earthquake, and it was rebuilt. However, because they feared that an earthquake would strike that area again, they decided to never really rebuild the city to its former glory. It kind of it, it never peaked again. Its peak was before the earthquake, but then after the earthquake, it was kind of forgotten about. It, was, it never really rose to its potential again. They bragged about something called the Acropolis. It was a fortified hill uh, where, where they had lots of things to, you know, sell and, and um, declare their beauty, their buildings, their... Uh, and they, they bragged about this thing called the Acropolis, a fortified hill. But they were they were more known in the area for the cemetery that that was there in that area. It was the cemetery of a thousand hills called the Necropolis. And Sardis was more known for the graves that it boasted of, rather than the things that were alive and running in the city. And, and Sardis, you know, kind of wanted to put the, the neon lights on the outward parts of the building. Have you ever been to a ghost town? Anybody ever been to a ghost town? My wife and I took Jake into Florida. We didn't really, we went as a family. We weren't taking him there specifically. But we were trying to get, make use of, uh, the, you know, the child flies for free, you know, before they're two years old. So I think it was 18 months. He would, just before he turned two, we're saying we're gonna we're gonna take advantage of this, you know, once in a lifetime. We're never gonna be able to fly anywhere as a family with one of us not having to be paid for ever again. So we're gonna do this, and we're gonna go somewhere cool like Florida. Uh, and this was before we realized that parents with children don't ever really take a relaxing vacation. We we learned on this particular vacation to never call it vacation again, but to. From this time forward, we'll call it a family trip because, because parents with children soon discover they, they go on a, on a vacation to relax and realize it's just as hard work as it is at home. You're just in a place that, that's different and you don't have all your same routines and, you know, it's more work because you have to actually pack up your whole routine and move it to a new location. And we discovered that, that uh, Florida was... There's a, there's a lot of built-up areas, but then there's a lot of ghost towns. 
And the, the place we were staying in was just outside of the, the, I can't even remember the name of the town or the city, but it was, it was outside of where all of the fun was. It was just a town on the outskirts of where you might get to Disneyland and all those really cool places. Um, and it was weird. It was like you, you drove through a certain area and it was like neon lights and shining billboards and, and attractions here and attractions there. And, and then there was these, these towns that were supposed to be like, they called them historic towns. And you, you go through it and there's all these uh, historic buildings, but they just had a weird veneer to them. You know what I mean? Like they didn't, they looked like they were made to look old. They, they didn't really look like they were really old, but that they were, they were, they were fake old. And then, and then you'd cross the, the boundary line of a city into the next one, and I, by that I mean you cross a street. And it was like neon lights, bright, shining restaurants, and look here and do this, to boarded up billboards and houses and, 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 and businesses, and it was weird. It was like, how, how, did it, how did we go from attraction, attraction, attraction to nothing? so quickly how did we go from from this built-up veneer of beauty and and uh you know historic things we realized that after a few drives around that we were driving into a big tourist trap and and that's all it was there was no real sustainable economy in the area because all the towns around the disney area were dying all of the towns all of the businesses the mom and pop shops the the, 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 the diners, the cafes, the restaurants were all dying around the area in which Disney had its control or, you know what I mean, like they had its influence or where there wasn't a, a strong tourist thing. Everything was fake. It was a veneer. It, and it might, might be different today, but that's what it was then. And, and that's kind of the image I get of Sardis. Sardis had this this plastic outward shell. But inside, there was not much going on. The, the town was never brought back to its original glory. It kind of lost its, its fervor and its potency after that particular earthquake. They were twice defeated as a city by enemies who came in to take advantage of them because they had sleeping guards and sleeping watchmen on the wall. And uh, just so you know, every city in this era and this time was walled. If you didn't have a wall around your city, then your city was open for attack by enemies and, and wild animals and all kinds of things. And so there were twice, two times that the city was attacked by, by enemy armies and they were defeated both times because they had inattentive guards watching the walls. So all of this back history really plays into what Jesus says here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. He says to, to Sardis, he says, you're the dead church. <laughs> I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, he said, but, but inside you are really dead. Inside you are, you are dead and you have no life in you, you have the outward veneer. You look alive. You, there's things going on there. Yes, we won't deny that, that there is some kind of an attraction. There is some kind of a, 
a thing taking place there, but, but really on the inside, it, there's no life. There's no vibrancy. And, and, and Jesus intros his letter to them by saying, this is the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. Remember the number seven. It's a divine number, complete number. Is, is Jesus saying to the church, God has seven spirits, seven distinct divided spirits? No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, uh, Jesus is quoting a reference from Isaiah, a prophecy given about the Messiah. In uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And what, what this was saying was the house of Jesse had been cut off. The line of Judah had been, had been severed, but out of that severed root would come a new shoot, a new, a new outshoot. Have you ever seen a tree that's been cut down right to the ground? And it doesn't take very long, but if that tree is not poisoned or destroyed, that root is not destroyed, after a little while, a new tree begins to grow out of the root system of that tree. And, and so the, the prophet Isaiah was saying, there's a shoot that's going to come out of Jesse. There's a new branch that's going to start growing, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah identifies the seven spirits of God. They aren't distinct in their, their personhood because God is one. But they are distinct in their operation or their, their application. It's, it's a, a way of saying these are all the attributes, the seven attributes of God, that He is the Lord, He is Yahweh. He is the one who self-exists. He reveals himself to those who seek him. And he is the spirit of wisdom. God is the source of all wisdom. And not only wisdom, but understanding. God is also the spirit of counsel. If you need something, he's the best one to go to. His word is the best thing to defer to. If you need strength, you can go to the Lord because he has the spirit of might. He has the spirit of knowledge, of knowing things that couldn't possibly be known. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord. He'll do his own will. He has power and authority. He has might. He has wisdom. He has all these things. This is the, the spirit of God. And this is resting on Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is holding all of these things. And what what. What Jesus was saying to the churches, he says, inside you're dead and you need these things that I have. You cannot make it without wisdom. You cannot make it without understanding. You cannot make it without, without, without might, without strength. You cannot uh, hope to survive without the things that I need. And I have what you need. I'm thankful that God has what he needs. To, to the loveless church, to Ephesus... Jesus said, I hold the seven stars in my hand, and I walk among the lampstands. To Smyrna, the persecuted church, Jesus said, I'm the one who died and came to life. You don't have to worry about the persecution because I'll handle 
death. If you die in, in, in serving me, you don't have to worry. Death will never defeat you. I've already defeated it. To Pergamum, the compromising church, Jesus said it's the one with the two-edged sword coming out of my mouth. My word will not compromise. My word will not fail. It will, it will accomplish everything that it is set out to do. To Thyatira, the compromised and enabling church, Jesus says I have eyes like fire that will see you and see what you're doing and, and I have feet like burnished brass. I'm a firm foundation on which you can stand and to Sardis the dead church Jesus says I have the spirit that you need that will bring you back to life Jesus speaks to the dead and sleeping church he says to them wake up wake up it's interesting how the Bible speaks about death we, we think of death as something very final right and, and rightly so. When someone dies, we cannot reach them. We cannot speak to them. We cannot communicate with them. They are, they're dead. Their spirit has left their body. But the Bible doesn't always refer to death in such final terms. Sometimes the Bible refers to death like sleep. John chapter 11 Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's following, fallen asleep, then he's fine. You don't need to go wake him up. He'll wake up on his own. He's a big boy. But verse 13 says, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he was resting and sleeping. See, Oftentimes in the scripture, the, the term sleep was interchanged with death, especially from the perspective of Jesus. When Jesus looked at death, he saw it as something that could be reversed as easy as sleep is, is reversed from those who are, have closed their eyes and gone into a deep sleep. And the remedy for sleeping is waking up seems pretty simple. It's not, not difficult. And Jesus wanted to communicate to his disciples and to those around him, death is as easy to me as waking somebody up from sleep is to you. As, and, and, and for those of us that are afraid of death and dying, you just need to know that when you're with Jesus, you're with someone who is about as worried about death as you are about your child or your mom or your dad or your wife or your husband going and taking a nap in the afternoon. None of us would worry. We would actually be comforted if someone said, I'm, I'm really tired. I need to go sleep. And we'd say, wow, the, well, they're taking care of themselves. That's great. They're going to go have a nap. And uh, hopefully none of you choose to have a nap during the message this morning. I'm trying my best not to be boring. or, But I know, I know sometimes the, the nod out. But, but it's okay. I'm not worried about it because it's Sleep is easy to deal with. You just preach a little louder, get a little bit more, and then people wake up. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, this, this sleep is, is, is actually death. But that's okay. I'm going to deal with the sleep. I'm going to go wake him up. But when it came to prayer, sleep was something that Jesus wanted his disciples to put away from themselves. 
It's interesting, the connection between sleep and death. And here Jesus is talking to the church at Sardis and he says, you, you, are, you are sleeping, but you think you're awake. You think you're alive, but you're actually dead. You're not with it. You're not alert. Have you ever taken that nap in the middle of the day and you wake up and you feel more groggy than you were before you went? Like you, you had that weird sleep where you, your body went down but then came up too quickly and you just kind of feel off. Sometimes you can have that nap. That's that quick little cat nap that just recharges your batteries for the rest of the day. But there's sometimes you take that nap and it's like, oh, I feel worse now than I did before I went to sleep. It's kind of a, a weird feeling. And, and there's that grogginess that comes with, with sleep at the weird time. And Jesus comes to his disciples when they ought to have been praying. And he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me yet one hour? Matthew 26, 40 and verse 41. He says, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sardis is the sleeping church. Sardis is the church that, that is, has the reputation of being alive, but inside they were dead. Maybe there was a lot going on in Sardis, a lot of activity, but inside their life with Christ was truly non-existent and not doing what it was meant to be. Here's a, here's a, a, a question for you. For me, too. It's a, a gauge, if you will. How alert in the spirit are we? How alive in our walk with God are we really? We need to ask ourselves these questions because Jesus came to the church and he said, you think you're alive, but you're really dead on the inside. I thought, man, that's pretty intense. The church thinks that they're alive. The church thinks that they're vibrant. The church thinks that they're really doing something. But when Jesus looks at the church, he says, you're actually sleeping. It's like you're having a good dream about what you're supposed to be, but you're not really ever doing it. You're not really accomplishing what you were called to do because you're actually asleep. Uh, here's something to think about. If God answered every prayer you prayed this week, if, if just think about it. If God said yes to every single prayer you, you prayed and it was immediate, the answer was, was instantaneous. If God instantaneously answered every single prayer that you prayed this week, what temptation or personal struggle would you finally get the victory over? Would your relationship with God be deeper tomorrow than it was today? How, how, many, how, how, how much more would you know him? How much more would you understand of his ways if he answered every single one of your prayers this week? If you took inventory of the prayers that you prayed this week, how many people tomorrow would be saved that weren't saved today? How many people would be filled with the Spirit tomorrow that were not filled with the Spirit today because of your prayers alone this week? Which of your family members would finally repent of their sins, turn their lives over to God, and surrender to Him wholeheartedly if God answered every single prayer that you prayed this week? How many drug addicts would be 
be delivered. How many, how many alcoholics would, would finally turn themselves into a, an AA program and start getting the help they needed this week if God had answered every single one of your prayers that you prayed this week? Who would have received a miracle in their body or have an answer to prayer for healing in their family or in their situation? What cities would be impacted by the gospel if your prayers were answered this week? What nations would begin to turn their hearts back to God? And I don't mean politically. I mean kind of like the grassroots movement of what's going on at the Asbury College, if you've seen any of that in the news reports, where people are, have literally been praying for a few, for a few weeks nonstop at this one college in Asbury in Kentucky, I think it is. Something like that. Is, is that the kind of thing that would spark and spur if God specifically answered any one of the prayers that you prayed this week? What nations would turn to God? What, 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 what leaders of a nation would give their hearts to the Lord and surrender to Him and find the truth of His Word? How many of your enemies would be blessed if every single one of your prayers were answered this week? What small church would receive an influx of helpers and laborers to work in the kingdom of God if your prayers had been answered this week? What man or woman of God would be infused with fresh boldness to preach the word of God in the face of danger and opposition if your prayers had been answered this week? Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you that I can't answer every one of those questions this morning. But I'm reminded of how much God wants me to pray for more than just the direct things that affect me and my life and my immediate family. Because every one of these prayer requests comes from a variety of scriptures in the, in the New Testament where God tells us to pray for kings and, and pray for nations and pray that God would send laborers into the field and pray that the lost would be saved and pray that there would be meat in the house of God and pray that there would be laborers in the field and pray for those who are sick because believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover Believers can pray on uh, demons and demonic spirits off of people for them to be delivered. And the, the question is, if my life is really alive with God the way it's supposed to be, then there may, there should have been one of those prayers this week. I said, yes, I, I prayed that. Yes, if, I, if God answered all my prayers this week, one of those things would have been ticked off. One of those check boxes would have been covered because I would have prayed something out of the will and desires of God. For his kingdom. See, if, if we're not praying prayers like this, is it possible, like Sardis, we think we're alive, but really, on the inside, we're sleeping. We're sleeping. The scripture encourages sleeplessness in certain scenarios. For example, if you're in debt, the Bible encourages the, the foolish to turn away from sleep and work extra hard to get out of that debt. If, the, if, if someone is in uh, what they call uh, a co-signing, there's a scripture in Proverbs that talks about if you've, if you've co-signed a loan, <laughs> don't go to bed that night, but earnestly plead with the person you've co-signed with to take your name off the paper <laughs> and take responsibility for their own stuff. And the Bible uses kind of humorous terms like try to get out of it like a bird trying to get out of a snare. Don't sleep until you have figured out a way to get yourself out of that situation because it's a bad place to be in. 
There's times when the Bible encourages sleeplessness and, and working hard. It's interesting, this, the Bible refers to sin like that. Sin is like a debt, a debt that you cannot possibly pay. And so instead of being slothful and lazy, but work hard, work hard to get your life right with God. Get rid of spiritual sleep. Put away the things that would lull you into a sense of spiritual security. But, but uh, work out your own salvation, the Bible says, with fear and trembling. The, probably the one indicator that you're asleep spiritually is you come to church and the bulk of your Bible study is done while you sit listening to pastor expound on what he studied in the Word. If you aren't digging in the Word for yourself and trying to unearth the truths of the Word of God for yourself, then it's possible, like the church in Sardis, you're sleeping spiritually. Now, you're active. You're coming to church this morning, and that's something. That's not nothing. That's something to be commended. That's something to be uh, uh, celebrated, and we're glad that you're here. We're glad you turned in online, but there is another level that God wants you to walk in, and that's knowing something for yourself. Jesus told his disciples, he said, you should be able to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Anytime somebody asks you about what you believe about the Bible, you should be able to articulate what it is that you believe about the Scripture because you have read it for yourself. You have studied it for yourself. You say, Pastor, I don't even know how to study the Bible. That's great. That's okay. You can learn. And if you're hungry, you'll find ways to learn. You'll Come, come to me and I can help you get set up with the, the basics, the ABCs, the one, two, threes of, of Bible study. But start somewhere. Maybe where you need to start not so much as in, in deep Greek theological study, but going just and reading your Bible on a regular basis. Because you said to yourself, I, I, I appreciate that pastors spent time to study the word and to find out backstory and back history and Greek and Hebrew and, and incorporate all that into a sermon. But I've got to know something for myself. I've got to go into the word and dig it out like the good man of the good treasures of his heart has, has stored up things on the inside. And he's laid up treasures for himself, not, not of, of, of earth or, 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 or wealth or or, or of, of, of job applications and job uh, uh, accolades, but he has gone into the Word and he's unearthed the treasures of God's Word for himself. Spiritual sleep comes upon us when we're praying more about ourselves and our needs rather than the kingdom of God and advancing the work and the, the ministry of the kingdom. We're praying more about our prayer list than Jesus is prayerless. We're praying more about our kingdom than about his kingdom. Spiritual sleep comes upon us when we read more books uh, uh, other than the Bible. When, and it's not wrong to read books, but you know what I'm saying, that there's, there's an emphasis on reading other things rather than studying and seeking out the word of God, that word of life. I urge you to get back into the word. Get back into prayer. Pray for the things of the kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6 says, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let's watch 
and be sober. Let's watch. Let's keep our eyes open. Let's keep our ears attuned. As Jesus said at the end of his letter, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Ephesians 5 verse 14 says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of your every opportunity. If you don't have time to sit down for long periods of time and read the Word, read what you can and then get an audio Bible. Put in your car on the way to work and listen to the Word. You know, most of the Jews grew up listening to the Scriptures being read to them. They didn't have the privilege of reading it for themselves. So it's, it's 100% okay. It's actually a, a, a you know, very ancient Jewish practice to let the Word be read to you. Get a good audio Bible. There's a really great one. If you like music and dramatization added to your, your, your Bible reading, there's a great one called The Word of Promise. Excellent. There's great uh, acting and dramatization of the Word of God. Sound effects. You know, when Jesus is casting out the devil, they even have like a little demon sound effect. The guy's screaming in the background. It kind of makes it more interesting. It makes it more fun. And it makes it memorable. Put that in your car. Put that in your, your, your MP3 player, whatever you got, your phone, your device, and listen to it as you go. Let the Word be pumped into you. Find ways to stay awake. Find ways to, to stay alive in the Spirit. Pray and say, God, is there anything in my life that needs to be changed? Is there anything? Open yourself up to God and say, God, is there anything you want me to have? I want to have it. If there's anything you want me to do, I want to do it. If there's anything you want me to relinquish or give up, then, then help me to part with it. Help me to give it up. The remedy for spiritual sleep is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over in the Lord, and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil. A clue to if you're spiritually sleeping is when you are wronged, you want to wrong the person who wronged you. The Bible says to pay no one evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Another way that you might be spiritually sleeping is if you have a hard time rejoicing. Because verse 16 says to rejoice always. Rejoice means to stir up the joy. Stir up joy in your life. Find a way to stir up joy. Pray without ceasing. Let there be a spirit of prayer about your life. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not just the good times, not just when things are going well, but find a way to give thanks to God in every circumstance. For this of the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. 
Don't silence the voice of God in your life. If there's conviction over something, if there's an urge to pray, don't silence God's voice and say, not now, Lord. I, I don't, I don't want to do that now. I want to I focus on this other thing. When we quench the Spirit's voice in our life, we stay asleep. Don't despise prophesying, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The spiritual remedy to sleep is wake up and look around. Jesus is alive. He has the seven spirits of God, but Sardis is dead. Jesus is awake and alert to their condition, but Sardis is asleep and unaware of where they're headed and what they're doing. Jesus is coming, but Sardis doesn't see the signs of the time identifying that Jesus indeed is on his way back. It's not until we get into the presence of Jesus that we see who we really are and how we really need him. I'm here to let you know this morning that Jesus is in the business of bringing things back to life that were dead. Jesus is in the practice of reviving and restoring. You know that, that old phrase, we need a revival? You know what a revival is? A revival means bringing something back to life that was dead and lifeless. When does my church need revival? My church needs revival when it's plagued with disagreements, when the preaching is ineffective, when few can remember the last time that someone was saved in a service, when God's supernatural power is not seen or is rarely ever seen. How do I know when my church needs a revival when God is not praised regularly and no one is being called into God's work? How do I know when I, my church needs revival when I treat the past as a hero and I don't seek to see what God wants to do with me in the present? When I refuse to adapt to the needs of my present community, my church needs a revival. When the focus of the church's budget is more focused on what goes in than what goes out, perhaps my church needs a revival. When I allow the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, when that great commission becomes the great omission, we omit to do it in our daily life. We omit to do it in our daily activities. We omit to support the work of those who are currently doing it in the mission field. When I let the church become preference driven and personal agendas rather than doing the work and the will of God. When I obsess over small things and I don't follow the leading of the Spirit. And I don't do what God is calling me to do and I don't, I don't pray the way he wants me to pray. I need a revival. None of this is meant to shame or put us down, but it's, it's, a, it's a, an awakening. It's a moment where we go, oh man, I think I've been sleeping. Oh man, I, I think I haven't been praying the way God wants me to pray. So the remedy to that is just begin to pray for the things God wants me to pray for. When, when I go through my week, I should be thinking, God, is my prayers affecting some kind of a positive change in your kingdom? Or is it just focused on me and my needs and 
God, fix this and make this better. Make this more comfortable. God, make this better for me. No, my prayers need to be outward focused. Yes, inward focused. Lord, help me to grow. Help me to be filled with the Spirit. It's not wrong to ask God to give you revelation. It's not wrong to ask you to be drawn closer to God. But while you're drawn closer to God, also have a hand out reaching for those that are trying to get close to God too and don't even know it. Can we stand this morning? I want us to find a place of prayer. And I invite you to come around this front area. We haven't done that in a while. There's something to be said for what what we used to refer to in the Pentecostal church as coming to the altar. (laughs) In the Bible, the word altar meant a place of sacrifice, a place of communing with God, a a place where you, you left the comforts of your home, you left the comforts of your your, 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 your regular to-do list and your regular place and you went to a special location. In the Old Testament, it was the temple and they went to the temple and they brought their sacrifice to God and they laid it on an altar and they made consecration and dedication to God. So for us this morning, would you find a place to pray, an altar this morning where you can consecrate and rededicate yourself to God? Look, none of us are perfect in here, and all of us have some area of our life that we need to to wake up and become more spiritually alive and more spiritually refocused. And that's what Sundays are about. They're about recalibrating. They're about getting our, our focus back on the Lord, back on His will, back on His word. Would you find a place of prayer this morning? Come to the altar, come to the front, come to a place of prayer. And, and yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's, it's asking you to step out of your seat and, 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 and do something different. But maybe that's what you need. Maybe that's what I need this morning is to get out of what's comfortable for me. Get out of what's, what's traditional for me, what's safe for me and, and make a place of dedication to God. To make a place where I say, I want, I want more of God today than I had yesterday. I, I want another level of His presence in my life. I want to recommit something to Him. I want to emphasize, yes, you can, you can pray wherever you are, and you're welcome to do that. There's no problem there. But is, is there someone that's going to say, I'm going I'm to press a little bit further than where I've been. I want to be awake spiritually. I want to be alive spiritually. I want to be full of the Spirit spiritually this morning. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to know Him. I want to walk with Him. In Jesus' name. Put your life into the 